Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos, and I spend most of my days talking to construction teams about how they deliver projects. And I'm Jason, and I help build software that construction projects use to deliver their projects. How are you, Carlos? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How, uh, how was Sydney? Uh, Sydney was good. I, yeah, I got the pleasure of uh, going visiting a bunch of different projects. I got some site tours. Um, and then I also got my one uh, night out of drinking for the quarter. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a rarity for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're drinking once a quarter, surely the hangovers are like 10x worse than the average person. I don't know. I didn't drink that much and I still had a, like, it reminded me of, I probably could have, um, this isn't a podcast about drinking, but, um, yeah, but like it was a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have to I show bet. up for a meeting at eight o'clock or nine o'clock the next morning. Yeah, just, just keep smiling and it'll be fine. Right. So a few weeks ago, we had a chat about the Australian markets. We went through a report, some sort of industry insights and trends around, I think it was Australia and New Zealand. Today, we're going to be chatting about a report called How We Build Now, surveyed by a company called Procore, who we all knew know in the construction management space, um, and it covers UK technology insights and trends. So first up, hard to ignore, the report suggests that the UK market is super confident on the next 12 months, so like market conditions and general sort of positivity. If we couple that with some of the stories that we've spoken about recently, which is HS2 being delayed, um, projects being over budget. I mean, that's usually the case. They canned like five major schemes. I'm talking 200 million plus just in the last 12 months. A bit strange. Part uh, of the I, I, thinks, uh, definitely, yeah, go ahead. Definitely, no, no, definitely. I think like, uh, that doesn't seem consistent with what anecdotally it feels like, I guess, on the ground. Um. I think from memory, the stats uh, are, well, not from memory. I'm just trying to look it up. Yeah. So the in the UK and Ireland, 36% of respondents to this were very confident about the future. Maybe the, they're very confident because they think it's bottomed and therefore the only way is up. So maybe it's like a, it's a relative <laughs> term. Maybe that's the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't get any worse. I actually have a suspicion. Procore's not exactly commonly used in this market or in this region they have a few sort of building um contractors that they work closely with and they've got some use within infrastructure do you think the result results could be skewed because it's going to building and building's like quite a booming market i don't know i've been looking through the the document um quite closely like i guess first up it would be nice if the document was in a similar format to the one in other regions so that you can actually compare <laughs> yeah. the results but it's not yeah, so like a note, if anyone from Procore or whatever uh, actually listens to this, like uh, if it was had consistent questions in format, that'd be awesome. Yeah, in my head, I was trying to work out what the when it was when the uh, survey was undertaken, uh, and also like how many respondents, because in the previous one that we looked at in Australia, they disclosed both of those um, figures and, and showed the split across um, uh, like infrastructure uh, building. It's not just Procore, they've partnered with uh, with a consulting firm or like a, a professional like research and industry research firm. But yeah, I don't, the short answer is I don't know. And I don't think any of the data in the report gives us clarity as to whether yeah. um, it's over indexing in building or, or not. Yeah. 
it's uh, definitely not in the same sort of level of depth. But let's let's assume let's assume it's uh it's 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 timely like it's been it's because it's, it's only been released recently so um I'd imagine the survey has been oh here we go over the past three to six months so it's relatively recent so it's not out of date uh, and let's presume they've taken a similar methodology to what they've taken in other regions was there anything in there of interest to you there was one that was actually quite I was just I guess surprised about so one of the um questions was around um construction firms investing in like capturing integrating and standardizing data and then we had this sort of the top benefits that they believe that would bring to the organization um second and third made sense it was improved visibility and improved employee experience right the number one was enhanced security to bring software into a business like i get it and CIOs and certain people thinking about security. I'm super surprised that that came first, that you want to adopt this digital technology because of security. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, I, I honestly think that, yeah, it's hard to understate the impact of, um, the changing rules around cyber essentials and plus, and the fact that a lot of bodies are requiring that to, as like a minimum standard, uh, and we've seen like increased demand from, you know, in from an Apex wise around certain security features and, and stuff like that. So that I think is hard is, is my gut feeling is that's driving some of this because anyone wanting to get compliant to that standard, um, will hit the same set of requirements that everyone else is hitting. Again, it's like a, most people don't really know what most of the words mean. And so they think it's, you know, I need this, that, and the other to meet some box that needs to get Tick ticked. Box. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually thought like if I step back and um, tried to tried to take away at a high level what what I've found from the UK and Ireland one versus the Australian one from a few months ago, I guess at a high level, the Australian New Zealand uh, biggest issues that uh, respondents pointed at were kind of like market force issues. So getting people, getting materials, and another one was tender competitive competitiveness they were the three biggest issues in uh uk sorry in australia and new zealand whereas in the uk it was like some really basic things that were like really interesting to see so the first one was like uh paying subcontractors and disputing with subcontractors the second thing was getting paid by the clients and disputing with the clients and the third biggest issue was doing things right the first time and not having to do rework which i feel like very um fundamental things they're not something that would have like snuck up on you you know like the business is like getting paid paying people and and trying not to build the same thing three times do you think that's an indication on the uk market where like we're very contractually minded at the moment margins are non-existent it's tough tough going winning jobs and yeah whereas australia seems more delivery focused just sticking to what they know and delivering schemes well, I don't know. It it, do, it does like I don't want to force fit the numbers to like some narrative, but um, but what what was interesting is uh, so raw materials were the main issue in both regions and the cost of raw materials like that's a shortage in every industry around the world, right? Um, whereas the second biggest issue in Oz and New Zealand was getting the right people to deliver the work they need to deliver. Bearing in mind that the UK and Ireland showed 
significantly higher confidence about the industry than Australia and New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand, the um, yeah, second biggest issue is getting people. Whereas in the UK at the same time, it's like, where was the stat? It was, yeah, 92% of UK respondents are confident that they have the labor that they need to deliver the work going forward. So in one region, it's the number two issue. And in UK and Ireland, it's 92% feel like they're totally fine with the getting the labor. Um, so that's like a striking difference, right? And you could force fit that to, well, there's less work. So, you know, like work is getting pulled back and stuff's getting canceled and therefore there's more labor available and stuff. Whereas in Australia, there's like a lot of projects uh, underway and, and people are fighting for, for people. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm force fitting a um, a narrative to to some uh, uncorrelated statistics. Yeah, the, the it's other quite difficult yeah. to produce the narrative because it is so sort of surface level in terms of the stats that we've got given. So it's quite hard to actually dig into that to any sort of yeah any sort of level where we're not putting assumptions on top of assumptions. Another one that was similar to Australia was forty four percent of firms plan to introduce construction management platforms in the next twelve months. We had that discussion last time, like why now? It seems really strange. It's almost like the survey was a prompt. One stat was if data was efficiently captured and integrated, firms could save on average 25% on each project. That's wildly high in terms of a number. But if you think about how much construction companies actually spend on technology, which is like sub 1% of revenue, it doesn't really make sense if they have, they're very contrasting thoughts. So the, the 25% saving is, is obviously, it's going to be tied to productivity. Yeah, I don't like, you know, we've both done business cases to get technology purchased by construction contractors and, yeah. and even the most, even the most like ironclad return on investment calculations, uh, are looked on, I guess, in a like healthily skeptical way. I think that like 25% of costs could be improved by better data structure, I think, or whatever that, that was, uh. Yeah, even I probably go. I don't. I don't know if I could stomach that in in a in a business case. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's uh, it's strong. Uh, that's some, um, yeah, it's some uh, some creative accounting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, finally, I think it's worth touching on. Um, so there's one step between 1997 and 2019. Productivity dropped dropped on average 0.6 per annum. So, I'd guess, and this again. I'm guessing um, that regulations and processes are getting tighter, but they didn't have technology to make those things like efficient in terms of delivery. That is just a bit of a hunch. Yeah, this is this is a topic that I'd like to dig into in the future, uh, in a future um, in a future discussion, guys. For sure, there's. I was talking to people when I was in Sydney about this exact topic. You know, are the projects getting more complex? Are we adding paperwork on top of what on top of what we currently do? I'd yeah. love to dive into to that more. I think that 0.6% number is a sort of a rehash or another way to look at that same graph that everyone, you know, the McKinsey graph, which has got like it's just an it's a it's a it's a similar um yeah, it's another way to say this. The data data ends of twenty nineteen, so they haven't even bothered to like yeah, yeah, that's Try exactly. That was when the McKinsey report was either eighteen or nineteen or something. Um, yeah. The last thing to note that I that I saw in there is uh, again looking for things that are like wildly different in different regions. Um, uh, in 
the Australia New Zealand region, I think it was on average one in eight hours were uh, lost to rework. So like twelve and a half percent. Um, in which like region? Average, or between, average. Oz, between Oz New Zealand. Oz New Zealand. Right. And then in UK and Ireland, uh, on average, rework was. Uh, at or over 25%. So one in four hours I'd spent wow. redoing things that were built. So like, I don't know about structured data, but there's 25% right there. And that feels like a really important 25% to, to, to tackle. Because if every time you, it's literally four steps forward, one steps back, which is like, if you got any worse, you're right on the actual saying of two steps forward, one step back. <laughs> like, yeah, which is actually it's one step forward, two steps back. But anyway, just go. If with you it. couple that with the art you covered earlier, which is um, Australia made uh, more of a noise about material availability, we're over in the UK doing everything twice, and apparently that's still not a key issue. Say so. <laughs> something's not right. Yeah, there. I don't understand how you have plenty of labour when uh, one in four of the hours of the labour are doing something again. But uh, yeah, so that I. Either that stat is a bit suspect, or yeah. that that is a ma- that is the major issue in the entire report that I read. But yeah, thanks for sharing that, Carlos. I think the other thing that uh, if I was to jump onto this uh, second topic is I wanted to ask you about something that you posted maybe like the other week on on LinkedIn. And uh, for those that don't follow you on LinkedIn, I'll read the post uh, out. So here's some of your uh, very tight pros. Um, This week, I got chatting to a commercial director about self-delivery versus subcontracting. According to him, there are three major reasons why self-delivery is the way forward. One, it gives you direct control over every aspect of the project from schedule to cost. Two, it reduces the risk of miscommunication or delays associated with subcontracting. And three, it gives you the flexibility to adapt when unexpected changes arise. That kind of got me thinking about whether if I was like in charge of a new infrastructure or a building project, you know, what method or approach would, would I favor and like why, how would I justify uh, an approach? So I'm really interested to dive into that more and understand what you think are the pros and cons of it and what you would choose if you had to, if you were put in charge of a new project tomorrow and had to con, you know, construct the delivery model. Yeah, so I'm sort of biased towards thinking about it from a commercial point of view. Obviously, there's a QS. Self-delivery, obviously that director was, it was all about basically control and the ability to be agile because you're not screwing around with contracts. You just, you're in full control of your, your team materials and everything else. Um, self-delivery scares me because You've got nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. You can't, like, you don't have these contracts there, which are effectively de-risking or sort of safeguarding your position to an extent. And it was actually someone commented on this, um, raising a very valid point, which is all of your risk lies in your estimating. Because if your production rates are wrong, you're like, you really are screwed because you can't, you can't leverage a subcontract or have any sort of mechanism to get out of here. You just have to probably innovate your way through it and reduce your production rates if you've undercooked whatever you did at at tender. So for me, I'm maybe naturally biased towards subcontracted, probably half because I've only worked on jobs that where everything was subcontracted. 
but you are de-risking your own works. Um, and there's a lot you can do with a contract to make sure that you're sort of back to back and I'm um, not going to go into like subrogation and how you like tie up, uh, aspects of the contract to make sure that you're not going to lose out in a claims situation with say insurers and things like that. You can bring in specialists. So why not sub out works to people who have more knowledge on you on how it's done. They do it all the time. They're local, things like that. So you're not just relying on in-house resource and like I've been on jobs where like the project manager of a section doesn't really have experience in that section because, but they have the most experience in the company and yeah, time back to price. Uh, ultimately if the somebody's got the price wrong, they have to deliver it anyway. You've got that small risk of things like somebody's going under going into administration, but you should be aware of those risks anyway, if you procure to a supply chain well, and you should be monitoring that and keeping on top of things and most contracts have the ability for you to step in, take their works. And as long as you haven't overpaid them, you shouldn't be at like a catastrophic, uh, disadvantage. It's obviously going to be a bit of a shit store. So that's my gut. But if you go back to like the, the, the risk that you said around like tendering or, or like the, the cost risk, like, or even the flexibility risk, a lot of those things are only less flexible if you don't want to pay for them. So like, it, I think a lot of the subcontracting advocacy comes down to like, we want the summary to pay for the job or like finance the, the job. Like we want to push some errors down out of our court and into their court and be back to back. So we're just like a middleman uh, collecting a clip on the way through type thing. A lot of that inflexibility is only inflexibility because you don't like, uh, maybe you don't want to send them an instruction or a variation that says this is different. Obviously there's a different, because if you're self-delivering and there is that issue and something needs to change, you're going to pay for it because your folks have to do the work. We have to buy the additional material. So like, I don't know why people take like a, such a different view to subcontracting where it's like, if I was self-delivering this, it's my cost. I've clearly made an error, but because I've subcontracted all of a sudden I want to like jam that risk down to the, the subcontractor all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. um, I think like when I was thinking about it, if I was to like attach a principle to how I would decide at like a company level, I think that each construction contractor should clearly understand their core competency, right? Um, you know, if you're a rail expert, go after rail projects, use your expertise in rail to leverage to the, that if you're a road expert, you, you try to win a lot of the, the road work with your core competency in that area. Um, and you know, maybe if you, maybe if you're, I've got a, a project that's like 60% rail, 40% road, or, you know, that type of thing or 60% rail and a bunch of some other system that you don't, ex you don't have expertise in, that would be a good thing to try and subcontract because you don't have that core competency in house. And some companies, their strategy or their expertise or their core competency is like contract management. So if you think of something like a Bechtel, right? They're really good at the, uh, um, the structuring their contracts so that, uh, not so they never lose, but you know, like, so I think everyone needs to have a, a core competency, a way that they deliver projects and really try to make sure everyone understands that and, and almost double down on that. Cause I think, I think of where folks have got into trouble or contractors have got into trouble is where they try to play every project like sort of as it lies 
So you've got a bunch of people from a previous project that self-delivered, you know, five of the last projects were road projects. And now they kind of be subcontractor managers on a, um, some other type of project. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dress up and pretend to be a developer tomorrow, like just because that there's a contract out for that. Um, so I think, I think like each, and this really ties back to the company, not like the, you know, what project you win. It's, I think each company needs to know their core competency. It's probably a bit of a hybrid. If you know your core competency, let's just say you're building a crosshair station. If your bread and butter is concrete, you could self-deliver the, the frame and then sell out the pit out. Yeah. Like that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you have that, yeah, that hybrid model where like just sub out what you're not an expert in and get someone else to do it. That makes, that's a very, yeah. Uh, and and, and don't get me wrong, I think there is like a lot of that that happens, but then like people go, oh, you know, like, but this is a big contract and if we pretend, you know, like, I think yeah. like everyone has that at their like core ideal, but then when it comes down to it, they'll try and win, you know, when it comes down to just trying to win a project. Um, but yeah, it's, it was an interesting question. So I, I, I don't know. I hope you, uh, I hope you post about that again. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly the flip side. Um, so I'll ask you a question on it. What's as an engineer, do you prefer self-delivery because you've got, you are actually in control and subcontract management is more administratively heavy. Uh, subcontractor management is like the boringest job in the world, in my opinion. Because um, you never do anything. Yeah, a hundred percent self-delivery. Otherwise, you come. You you almost. I think in some projects, if you if everything is uh, subcontracted, you almost become like that. Um, you know those folks that go on like Fox News and just criticize what the government does all day. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't have to actually solve anything yourself. You can just turn up and criticize everything that was done. So, in my opinion, self-delivery is like a way better project to be on. You learn way more if you're like getting, if you're trying to, uh, develop as a, as a sort of young engineer, um, I would, I would go and work on a self-delivery, self-delivered project every day of the week. Yeah. I used to uh, wind up the engineers on previous projects and then oh, I built that. I'm like, don't you mean X built that? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. really, sub, sub, they really sub, subcontractor yeah. X built it. You sat in the office and approved their payments. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, you read their, their program and moaned about it each week. That's it. That's rough coming from a QS as well. Yeah. I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I built, I built Paddington Station. It's probably the flip side, right? For a QS, you want to, you if you're wanting to develop as a QS, you probably want to go onto a a, a subcontracted project. Sounds delivery is fucking boring. You, you're just you're just monitoring like deliveries, uh, quantities that you've installed for payment. Um, you're looking at timesheets. Like it's, it's dreadful. Um, the important part is tender because you have to get that right. Yeah. Um, subby bashing is one of my favorite things on the planet. <laughs> Shouldn't oh, say it like that. But, uh, I hate you. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll call it there. Thank you very much everyone for listening. Thank you.